Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And as ever, brought to you by you. Thank you to our patrons supporting us every week at patreon.com slash UK tech. And hello to everybody listening live in our Discord channel. Um, if you're not a patron, this is your, or rather if you are a patron, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. And if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free versions, our extended cuts, my weekly columns, live streaming, and more, head to patreon.com slash UK tech to find out how you can support us for as little as one US dollar a week with no commitment. And we've had quite a few new people this week. We've had a pledge from Kenji Yoshino, from, I'm going to butcher this, I apologize, Mahathir Almashaw. I'm really sorry, I'm sure that's wrong. Uh, Paul Middleton, Stephen, uh, Neil Jones edited their pledge upwards. Uh, another pledge from Joey. So thank you everybody for joining us this week. Um, it's fantastic. Shall we get into some news, Mr. Morris? Yes. Let's dive in head first. Crash helmets, please. Uh, thousands of Vodafone customers have been given the green light by the UK communications watchdog Ofcom to ditch their contracts after the mobile phone provider increased its international roaming fees earlier in the year. This is according to the register this week. Now, Vodafone introduced a roaming charge for customers traveling in 60 countries outside of the EU. That means that pay monthly customers are charged a flat fee each day to use their bundled allowances. But part of the problem is that it used to be a kind of an opt-in option where you could you can apply this daily pass, whereas it's been changed so that so much as sending a text from one of these countries will trigger the automatic uh fee which is i think it's six pounds a day although i'm pretty sure it used to be five pounds a day oh right so it's not just it's not just a data thing oh right i'm sorry i completely misunderstood nope this is this is all things so it's a real problem and ofcom texted people uh, sorry uh, vodafone texted people to let them know about this and they did they did some modeling and, and worked out who is most likely to be affected um, but the but ofcom is concerned that vodafone hadn't made it clear at all to customers about their rights um so it is possible now to uh to get in touch with vodafone and check that you're not at risk for this and and possibly get out of your contract so if you're looking to leave vodafone and uh and, and have been thinking of a way to do so without being in breach of your contract then maybe give them a call and tell them you're super unhappy about this um and then if they don't change something for you you can you can you know write to them and uh and and have your contract cancelled it's a bit it's a bit of a shame i mean i like the the system because i mean i'm going to be going to japan in uh in the new year with uh with my wife and it's it's going to be very convenient to just pay you know a fiver a day to use all of my inclusive bundled allowance rather than paying possibly considerably more in renting local sims or something like that which is very difficult to do uh, as a foreigner in, in japan so I'm I'm very happy with that, and it's expensive, yes, but in the grand cost of a holiday, um, it's not too much money for something incredibly crucial to uh, everything from keeping in touch with friends to using Google Maps to using translation services um, to taking pictures. Obviously, 
it's a, it's a, it's a, it's fine, but it should be a choice, and a, and you certainly shouldn't, in my opinion, be triggering it just by sending a text. No, I, I, I mean, it, it's it seems reasonable that if you send a text, you should be just charged the whatever the rate is for that country. But I mean, this is the thing because before you could pay a lot of money for texts. I mean, some roaming charges are insane. I mean, I think if you if you're on O2 in the US, it's something like five pounds a megabyte of roaming data or something completely yeah. crazy like that. Certainly... Well, it can be. It's got a lot better, hasn't it? And certainly there are always options to spend an amount of money per day and get a reduced rate. But yeah, yeah it's still a bit. It's still a big problem. But it, it's just the fact that that you know this is something that you're you're going to have to. Um, incur a charge from regardless of whether you actually want to before you could have sent a text and said okay i don't mind if this costs me 50 pence or something to send this text it's an essential text i i need it um but now that's that's going to cost you an awful lot more even if you only want that that one text uh, but let us know any thoughts you uh, have on this of course hello at techpodcast.uk and if you're planning on using this as a get out clause for vodafone be interesting to hear how that goes if you do so hello at techpodcast.uk well a very quick one this because i felt it was only fair to point something out while pointing something else out uh, last week or the week before we talked about how sheffield the northern city of uh, england in which uh, your host me was born uh, revoked uber's operating license on grounds that it hadn't responded to requests about its management well this week managed to reverse that so to speak uh, no pun intended that was a genuinely accidental pun um and so uber can continue driving both forwards and backwards in the city of sheffield however what amused me is that i had an email from somebody on uber's uh, p- public relations team uh, pointing this out and say suggesting we could update our story while i was preparing to email them for a comment about how the city of York has refused to renew Uber's license now uh, on the grounds that it's concerned about the data breach and it's uh, under investigation. Obviously, Uber is for a bunch of stuff. So York's like, you know what? Not good. Let's not renew their license in York. So it's no matter how much like slithers of good news that Uber gets, something seems to come down the toilet chute to just... Yeah, but... They could just simply address the concerns that are pretty universal, really. Like the, the concerns that London have are not that different to the concerns that Sheffield has or York. Uh, you know, if they just did a little bit of work and sorted it out, then perhaps they wouldn't keep losing their licenses in places. Yeah. Well, Uber's general manager in, in York, it's fair to point out, uh, Neil McGonagall, told Reuters, quote, this is a disappointing vote for the riders and drivers who use the app who use our app in the city but he said uber is going to review the details of the decision once it receives a formal notice from the council this of course also means that uber has a few weeks to decide whether it will appeal against the decision uh, to a magistrate's court and if it does then it can continue operating in york until the appeal is heard and that's what's happening here in london because the appeal is not going to be i think it might be april next year now so like uber's in no risk of pulling out of london or being forced out of London uh, for a few months until the you know the, the appeal is is heard. Uh, uh, yeah. But obviously, any thoughts on this? Uh, and if you're in York and have concerns that you're going to lose your Uber, uh, hello at techpodcast.uk. Ian, it's time to talk about France. That's right. Okay. On our UK-focused technology podcast, we're going to talk about 
not the UK for a moment for a moment. But there is a reason why, and we'll get to that. The French government is going to ban students from using mobile phones in the country's primary, junior, and middle schools. Children will be allowed to bring their phones to school, but not allowed to get them out at any time until they leave. And apparently, according to this Guardian write-up, even during breaks. Now, the measure is going to come into effect at the start of the next school year, which is in September, same as it is here in, in Britain, and will apply to all pupils from the time they start school, so about age six, up to about 15, which is when they start secondary school. Now, the minister said the ban was also a public health message to families. He said it's good for children. Uh, it's good that children are not too often or even at all in front of a screen before the age of seven. This is interesting, and I wanted to discuss whether or not this might work in our UK school system shortly, but I wanted to get a bit more detail on this from a French perspective. So earlier this week, I spoke to Patrick Bejar, who's been on the show before, in fact, and who runs several podcasts himself and is a tech expert. I started by asking him how France's ruling came about. So I think it was a campaign promise, actually, from uh, President Macron. So that's how it came into uh, existence. But uh, it's been kind of in the air here and there. I think it's been uh, like that in every country. But um, yeah, it was a campaign promise. And the way it was received was like it wasn't the main issue in the campaign, obviously. And it's certainly not the main problem that we have in France as a society. Um, but I think it's being the, the principle of it, the idea of it is mostly supported. Um, I'm sure there are always some people that will say, you know, this is a bad idea because X or Y. But mostly the um, idea is supported. The, the questions arise when you're talking about implementation. Um, and we can get to that in a little bit, but not necessarily because people don't think it should be implemented, but people wonder how it can be implemented. And how do you think this can actually be enforced? There are multiple ideas that have been proposed. There's um, lockers that you should put your phone in before you get into class. There are people who think you should just leave the phone somewhere, like not even use it in class at all um, for the whole day. I mean, what I mean by that is not put it in a locker when you get into class for one period and then take it back, but just put it in a locker for the whole day. Um, and and that, of course, creates uh, uh, questions about security and emergencies and stuff like that. Um, so we, <laughs> from what I understand, we haven't quite figured out the system yet. The idea of lockers is really interesting, actually, because France has, what, tens of thousands of schools and millions of students. So to put lockers in those schools for every student would cost, I mean, countless millions. Of course, of course, that is absolutely a concern. I think in this case, um, again, I don't have everyone's uh, opinions, but I think in this case, it's kind of a something that we have to do. If that's the way to do it, then... Well, we'll have to look at the numbers, but, you know, the, the alternative being uh, kids able to be distracted every second of every class because it is very... It's like, you know, if you want to make an equivalent to uh, our <laughs> times in school, given our ages, it would be like having a TV in class. And that is not really something acceptable, I think. So, And we know that if we just tell parents or, or children, don't bring in it class, it, it's forget it, for, uh, forbidden. Uh, obviously, they're not going to respect that and they're going to have it in the back of the room and pull it out and send little snaps and text messages and things like that anyway. So 
if that's what we have to go through, unless it's like, you know, billions, I think it might be some, we might be able to find a, a system that we can accept cost-wise. In some of the discussions I've read online around this story, a proposed solution to the enforcement issue is to install mobile phone signal blockers. Do you think that could fulfill the need? Or would it cost a little less, maybe? Uh, I'm pro- I'm sure it would probably be less costly. Um, the issue is, the one I would see is that you kind of uh, block everything. You block the, the teacher's phones, you block... So in case of emergency, for example you would not be reachable. And if something happens, you need to know if you need to, I don't know, evacuate the school or that would be a concern. What do you do then? Do you reinstall like uh, landlines everywhere? It seems like that would be an issue. Um, So maybe you can have a solution for a local signal blocker that you flip the switch for, for your, you know, um, specific class and you unswitch it if something happens. But even then, um, the security aspect is, I think, a problem and, and has even been raised um, for the kids, meaning um, one of the arguments against getting them uh, to give up the phones for the entire day is if parents want to know uh, something about them, not necessarily know, but tell them something or the kids have to go home early or they would want to have their phones during um, recess or during the lunch break and stuff like that. So I think for the signal blockers, there are other hurdles that would make uh, an argument against them even more uh, potent. Has France tried to do anything like this before or or impose some other bans on tech in schools? I don't think so. I mean, maybe there there were things with toys at some point, uh, specific toys that kids were going crazy over. Um, but that would be a different story. It might have happen, happened. It uh, probably wasn't as big a deal as what is happening now with uh, with smartphones. I have to mention that there isn't really a, a big frenzy about this topic. I think um, maybe, you know, I, I don't know exactly how it is in, in the UK, but I think many other countries, I'm thinking on, of the US, let's be honest, uh, th- they tend to go into big controversies over anything. Um, I talked about this on Twitter um, yesterday and people were telling me, actually, there is a debate about this in in the US as well. Some schools do have um, these kinds of things implemented already. So it might be interesting to see how they are doing that. Um, but we're not having a huge... Uh, Let's say it's not due to some panic movement of public outcry fueled by a a media frenzy, right? It's not like maybe even Tamagotchis would be, oh, the children are not listening in school because they're being distracted by those video games. And like, that's not how it's happening for this. It's more like everyone realizing, yeah, it it is a problem. Um, Kids should be focusing and let's see how we can tackle it. It's not being you know, weaponize as an argument or a debate or anything like that. At least, you know, that's the impression I'm getting. Patrick Bejar there. Do make sure to check out some of his other work and technology podcasts at frenchspin.com. Ian, any thoughts, mate? How do, how could we enforce this here in, in the UK? You know, um, the comedian Dave Chappelle. I know of him, yeah. Yes. Uh, well, he's very, very funny. And what he does uh, at his live shows is he gives people a, a little uh, wallet and their phone is put in the wallet and sealed. And I think it's sealed shut. 
Um, so they, you have your phone with you, so no one's keeping your phone. And then you go, uh, if you need to use it in an emergency or something like that, you could go outside and they'll unseal it and you can use your phone. The point is that obviously comedians suffer a lot from their material being put on YouTube and stuff like that. Because obviously, you know, a, a, a set for a comedian takes a year to develop or maybe even more. Uh, so they don't want it being put up on YouTube in some shaky, horrible thing. Um, so, you know, that's a good solution. So perhaps like that would be a cheaper option. And if you were buying sort of those little things and then, you know, beginning of the day, the teacher goes around, locks all the kids' phones in the wallet and then they get them back at the end of the day. But as was said in the Discord, it's uh, kind of ridiculous to have children that young <clears throat> with mobile phones anyway. I wouldn't consider giving my kids a phone until they were in secondary school, really. If there's a problem, you call the school and the school will sort it out. Like they'll go and get the kid and explain or whatever and wait, you know, have them wait for you. It, this is not, none of this is, we do not need our children to have phones. I, I mean, and I kind of agree. Like, um, I mean, it's, I, I, I I'm all for tech, obviously, and I think that uh, mobiles and, and tablets and stuff like that provide a really, really good training uh, and learning experience for children. But they do not need phones in school, and you don't need a phone in school when you're in secondary school. Uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, um, I accept the fact that I'm probably the only person that thinks that way, but it's, you know, it's school. Pay attention. In in our Discord, there's a nice chat going about uh, about this. Um, John mentions he works in a prep school. He says that they allow children who come to school by bus to bring a phone, but they have to leave it in the school office safely when they arrive in the morning. So presumably that's for a little bit of peace of mind, maybe for for parents who are putting who are not directly taking their kids to school. Um, but uh, but they don't let children use phones uh, at all in in junior schools. And then James Cook asked about uh, about Apple Watches. He says, I don't think this would work in UK high schools. Kids are far too sneaky. You know, what about <laughs> Apple Watches? And it's a good it's a good point because, yes, I mean, it depends how far away you are from the phone, but if you were able to have your phone taken away, but you've still got something that's connected to your phone in your pocket, then, you know, what? how, how does that work? And, and I had a similar thought as well, but not about what Apple Watch, but about the iPad, is that if they're taking your phones off you, fair enough, but if you're still able to tether to that phone's connection from an iPad you could have an iPad or or something else but i agree i mean i was i was a terrible student at school you know i would frequently leave lessons and and i'm not i'm not proud of it in the slightest but i, I was i didn't pay attention in any lesson that didn't fascinate me which is to say most lessons other than science or music or it um and yeah i mean i would circumvent this rule enormously I, you know it it's a, it's a no brainer you would just you would it it's it's like challenge accepted how can we circumvent this effectively? You know, it's 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 very yeah. very easy to to think of ways this can and be yeah, done. And yeah, sure, and, and kids will do that. But I, and I and you know what, I'm not averse to that. Like part of being at school is, you know, trying to work out how to get around the rules. And I I, I kind of I kind of applaud ingenuity, but at the same time, I, that's not that doesn't affect the idea of the policy, which is to to prevent kids from using phones during school, which I think is perfectly reasonable. And I think one of the interesting things that um, that Patrick mentioned in the interview is we, we talked about using signal blockers. So rather than taking phones off kids, signal blockers could be installed in the schools in order to render the phones effectively useless from a communication standpoint. Um, but obviously that does have the knock-on effect that it would render the teacher's phones uh, inoperable as well. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, if you're taking them all down, or, or taking none of them down, really. So I, I, I don't, I don't think that would that would be a viable solution. I don't either. Um, and you've got to be very careful with those things, and they're illegal. There's no way to do it in this country. I mean, I'm not not sure about how uh, France is, but yeah, you you couldn't do it here. 
Right. Well, any thoughts you have on this? And it'd be very interesting to know, um, A, if you work in a school, how you handle the issue of mobile phones in schools. Um, if you are in school yourself, how do you handle your own usage of mobile phones during term time? And also, if you have opinion, regardless of whether you are a student or educational deliverer uh your thoughts on this and possible solutions for for france um we'll collate all the data together and then we'll write to france and say we've solved your problem for you here's how best wishes text message and you can do that by sending an email to hello at techpodcast.uk We just wanted to touch on, before we, we move into our mailbag this week, uh, something that upset what to me seems like the majority of American tech uh, observers, uh, which is that the net neutrality, uh, I want to say bill, but I'm not sure the terminology. Basically, America's got rid of net neutrality legally, uh, and a lot of people are very, very upset about it. Not yet, they haven't. They have to vote it through Congress, don't they? And I think it's very unlikely it'll make it through. But yes, the FCC has said they want to get rid of it. And and we're pointing this out in part because Tom uh, Merritt on Daily Tech News Show did a really fantastic job, I think, of distilling this down to the core arguments, the core problems, and how this might play out. That's on DTNS episode 3179. Um, it's well worth checking that out for a really concise US-focused view on the net neutrality issue. But I didn't want to completely ignore it because there was some debate online about whether other countries might follow suit. And it did have me thinking about the UK and whether this would ever get through, uh, sort of, get through at all in our own legal system and i actually don't think it would and i think part of the problem is that in britain in with our broadband uh setup we've got so much competition that if one operator started restricting access or or slowing down a particular service then people would simply leave and go to one of the many many other competing services that that don't and would presumably at that point use we do not you know we are net neutral and use that as an advertising uh perk if if you like and and in the US a lot of people have only access to one provider which is really really difficult to uh, to move away from even if you're unhappy with them the thing is as well that it's uh, one of the th- big things about net neutrality that gets a lot of this discussion is about the the throttling of speeds and stuff like that and or you know the the tiering of the internet so that you know you pay for a certain amount of access and that uh, you know gives preference to people with more money but also it doesn't net neutrality means that an a, 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 an isp can't just decide that it doesn't like something and stop you from seeing it uh, and i for me this is one of the biggest arguments for it is you know if if we start telling people what they can and can't look at then we're really we're we're in hot water because it you know you say you've got an ISP that's owned by a, a you know like a right wing Christian organization or something like that and they decide that they don't want anyone looking at porn or anyone looking at information about safety and sex or you know or anything slightly off the norm if you were norm in quotes uh, you know that for me is a huge part of it and a lot and a lot of it gets talked about in terms of cost um but for me it is a it's another censorship argument it's another thing about you know we've got to make sure that people aren't prevented from having access to information and um it was a, I had an interest there's an interesting story from Brazil about um a YouTuber getting arrested and sent to prison for putting up 
videos about how to use Kodi. Um, and I tweeted that I, you know, I just, it was a very simple tweet. It was just no, 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 nope, no. Um, but the point is that you can't, it, it's just information. For, forever, we've always had information that's dangerous and damaging to people. Um, but we don't stop people having access to it because, you know, it's information. And you're not everyone who looks something up is is going to make a bomb, say, because that was the old classic example of the, the whatever, that, you know, the hand make, handbook for making bombs and stuff like that uh, um, the anarchist cookbook yeah exactly and 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 that has always been a controversial thing um and you know back in the day it was like oh if you google that you'll go to prison kind of thing and it, obviously you wouldn't um but you know there it, there's nothing wrong with being curious and being interested in information it doesn't necessarily mean that you you've got criminal intent um and but this is this is just another part of it, it we will see people people having their internet controlled in in very unpleasant ways um i just thought it was because we talked about the the tearing of it, the internet quite a bit but for me that's a much more alarming notion yeah we when we talked about the issue of vodafone's passes i'm sorry you know we targeted vodafone a bit in this episode but but um well they were the ones that did it I mean, if they don't if they don't want to be targeted, then don't be you know silly about stuff. They're not they're not alone though, and you know it, that to me was quite a, kind of a big a big deal because they were well, yeah, they would argue that they're not restricting choice, but essentially by offering preferential treatment to to some services, you are effectively de incentivizing users to to use competing services, and and that's that that's that's a that's a it's at least a chink in the net neutral neutral net neutrality argument uh it's certainly not it doesn't go as far as legally ratifying it into being uh, a totally permissible thing um one of the things that uh, james points out in our discord chat right now is imagine sky throttling the bbc website for example and and favoring its own it, it just it just wouldn't fly it just wouldn't well, fly. That, and that never that never ends well i mean it it, it... Is it even a requirement if it, with net neutrality for Sky to serve you the BBC website? Could they you type in bbc.co.uk forward slash news and it just sends you to skynews.com? I mean, like, I, I'm sure that would be totally unacceptable to every subscriber. But if you're going to take it to the very extreme of what will eventually happen if you allow one company to, say, throttle, throttle the speeds of the BBC website and it never ends because you know you've got so Sky ha- Sky will restrict access to say Vir- if Virgin Media had a streaming service uh, and, and then Virgin would restrict access to Sky's streaming service and it just gets to the point where you, and you can't have all of those internet services it's it just it will ruin the internet basically. and I'd, I'd like to think that that wouldn't happen but then I sort of think well could an online retailer with a huge powerful st- Store, decide to not stock another company's product because yeah because the other <laughs> exactly. company doesn't stock their product i would just i just wonder you know would that happen could that happen yeah say say if you took say a, a video streaming service off your product um because that the company who had who would refuse to sell your product owned that you know it's just ridiculous yeah it never ends it reminds me of the and, old um alien versus predator film where the tagline was whoever wins we lose or something similar and and that's funny, basically... funny enough i've just listened to the cnet uk podcast nate where you raised that exact uh tagline i did and it's it's i haven't finished listening to it yet but i've, I've heard that bit well, if you have any thoughts on this, of course, uh, uh, hello at techpodcast.uk is where you can send them to. And as Ian correctly pointed out, I was on the CNET UK podcast this week talking about my favourite tech of the year, including my vibrating massage chair and, of course, my not battery-powered, no-privacy-invading shoehorn. 
Well, our bulging sack of mail um, needs to be relieved of some of its internal pressure. So let's uh, pop a, a pin prick into that. Uh, um, we had a tweet <laughs> come in uh, to at text message pod on Twitter from James, uh, who pointed. Was it James? No, it was Jason. I do apologize. Um, who'd listened to the show and had actually written an article about how the sharing of digital purchases across Xbox One consoles actually works. We talked about that um, last week or all week before. And uh, it's a really interesting explanation of how it works and also how it came about. So thanks for that, Jason. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes at uh, techpodcast.uk. Uh, you can go there and find the link. We'll also tweet it out uh, at some point, although I do believe we retweeted it. Wait, no, we didn't. However, now we have. Um <laughs> Uh, Juan uh, got in touch with us. He said, just wanted to drop you some lines to tell you I found your podcast uh, a couple of days ago and really liked it. In my case, it helps me to improve my English skills. Next year, I'll start working for a new company with regular contact with London colleagues. So lately, I've been listening to you a lot. Um, uh, have you considered making a new episode talking about digital transformation in the insurance sector? I'll be honest with you, we haven't uh, on the <laughs> podcast. Although at Bloomberg, we have. So it's, you know, it's half and half, uh, but uh, I'm really pleased that uh, the show is helping uh, you with your English lessons. I actually know, as a funny, relevant aside, uh, Patrick Bejar, who's on the show earlier, I know that he has some listeners of one of his French technology podcasts, and people listen to that who are trying to learn French because they're familiar with a lot of the terminology and stories and topics of a French, uh, of, of the tech of the tech world and so hearing them discussed in french helps them learn a little bit more easily um some of the french language so uh, i'm glad we can i'm glad we can help um and then finally we had um we had an email from rich who says i watched one episode on 4k tv now i think incidentally this is the uh, blue planet isn't it when uh, yeah when blue planet two, whatever. Uh, with my 4k roku and my super fast broadband and i couldn't see any difference in fact because it was only stereo not 5.1 i think it was marginally worse now i haven't yet tested out that stream have you ian no, and I no, I haven't, and I'll tell you why I haven't because I don't have a 4K TV and it doesn't work on normal iPlayer. You have to have a TV app to do it, and I was looking forward to having a look at it on my not quite 4K monitor but higher resolution than 1080p. Uh, but I won't be doing that because they won't let me. Well, once again, the baton of burden falls upon Nate's hands. Uh, yeah, but I mentioned it on Friday night when I was at your house. We could have easily put it on for two minutes and had a look at it, and did we? Uh. Uh, no, no I, I was far too busy having a birthday. Drinking beer and listening to cannibal corpses stabbed in the face with a pony. That's not quite the song title, but I see where you're going with that. And maybe that'll <laughs> appear on their next album. Um, anyway, thank you to everyone who has been writing in. Hello at techpodcast.uk is where you can send yours. Um, let's check in with Tom Merritt to find out what's been going on in the wider world of tech this week. Hey, thanks, y'all. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we tackle net neutrality and what to do now that the US FCC has voted to remove prohibitions against blocking, throttling, and paid prioritization. Short version is, don't panic yet. We also talked about the irresistible urge to look at other people's texts on planes and trains, discussed whether Facebook is bad for society, looked at some of the greatest tech company reversals in the face of public pressure, and got the scoop on the future of televisions and cryptocurrency. All that and so much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Thank you, Tom. And yes, highly recommended listening uh, to the net neutrality episode, as we mentioned earlier. It's a great primer, very tight explanation of the issues and what might come next. 
Early on, we had Patrick Beja on, of course, discussing France's phone ban in schools. Uh, Patrick, let people know where they can find more of your work online. Sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter at NotPatrick um, and on Facebook as well. And you can find my shows at Frenchspin.com. I do one about uh, video games. It's called Pixels. We're going to do an end of the year roundup uh, pretty soon. And that should be really interesting because the year has been kind of crazy. And um, the other one I do is called The Phileas Club. And it's about uh, international news. And we get people from different countries to come together every month and discuss uh, what's been happening in their countries with their own cultural points of views and backgrounds. And uh, for the last episode, we had a special where we looked back at our childhoods. Um, we had someone from South Africa and someone from Saudi Arabia and Tom Merritt from the US. So that was a lot of fun. And we talked about the good old days. That was episode 100. So all of that is available at frenchspin.com. Thanks, man. And uh, thanks for taking the time, of course, to, to join us today. Thank you very much for having me. It was great. Now, a couple of bits of housekeeping before we finish up. Um, in about a week or so, maybe almost just under a couple of weeks, we are going to be publishing our contact special this is uh that's christmas day isn't it isn't it like a week exactly it will be, a week it, it will be publishing on christmas day yes um so basically a week eight days if you want to be really specific yeah, eight mate. days yeah 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 um but it'll be publishing on that day and this is it's loosely based on carl sagan's book and film contact um but we we use it as an opportunity to really talk about sci-fi in general but also a lot of the physics uh, sorry the physics the science behind uh, the search for extraterrestrial life we we're joined by an incredible astrophysicist on the show who does a show called astronomy cast pamela gay and we're also going to be joined by tom Merritt and veronica belmont and it's it's a fantastic five person panel we recorded it last night it was absolutely fantastic i cannot wait to publish it it's brilliant it's super super fun so look out for that and i think we'll do i think we'll do some more of those won't we in the future because um i i was i was thinking the other last night there would be so many things that would be you know var- varying degrees of if we can find a good expert to have on um just a, a fascinating uh debate and you know stuff like that so we should uh, we'll probably try and do more won't we yeah, absolutely. We, we we definitely will. I think um, we'll we'll see what the feedback's like from this one. Uh, that's going to release on the on the regular free feed um, on uh, on the twenty fifth, as, as Ian mentioned. But we're going to put it on the on the Patreon feed basically as soon as I've edited it, which will be in the next couple of days. All being well, and uh, John in Discord mentions it'd be good to do Arrival too. And interestingly enough, John, we did talk about Arrival in that episode, so we sort of ticked that box before. Um, well, we ticked the box. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. Um, thank you to everyone supporting us on Patreon. Uh, if you'd like to join us, that'd be absolutely fantastic. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash UK tech. Uh, the pledge level start at a US dollar a week and uh, there's no commitment. And if you're not able to do that or not willing or whatever, that's totally fine. We love having people on our free feed and you leaving reviews in iTunes or your podcatcher of choices store. And, uh, and telling your friends is an amazing, amazing way to support us for no money. And we appreciate that just as much. I think that's it, Ian. Shall we, shall we go away now? Because I've got a bacon sandwich that's cooking in the other room. <sighs> Have you? That's, yes. Uh, that's luxurious for you. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you in a week. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water 
it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. 